0: I'm Amina Mansour and you're listening to the European Skeptics podcast, the real ESP experience.
1: Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptic movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 129, and I'm your host, Helena Levin. Joining me for the show is my co-host, the one and only Pontus Bockman. Hey
2: son hey son and guess what there's no Andras today again <laughs> what is this? I think I'm gonna cut his pay in half <laughs> uh, which is half of nothing is nothing but uh, <laughs> still nothing, He yeah. still doesn't deserve it. Where the hell is he? I have no idea <laughs> Just backed out. We're gonna
1: we're gonna carry on regardless and yeah. gonna have a good show I'm sure.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: And yeah, yeah. this week if I am not mistaken we have an interview with
2: yes, we, with Amina Mansur, who is a journalist, science journalist at Dagens Nyheter or DN, which is the largest uh, newspaper in Sweden. So it's very interesting. Uh, she is a great journalist. She is, you know, very, you know, of course, science focused, and she has debunked a lot of stuff for for the for the public and her. Work is very popular actually in Sweden. That's very good to think about in these days sort of fake news and everybody's just going for the, for the alternative medicines and stuff. She's t- she writes a lot about medicine and about uh, things that actually work, and she writes about things that don't work and why they don't work or how we know that they don't work. So yeah. great,
1: yeah, it's great. And um, we're looking forward to you asking her all the difficult questions. Yeah. Let's crack on with it, shall we?
2: Yep, let's bring her on. On every other episode, we usually interview someone who's interesting from a sceptical point of view, either by representing an organisation of a certain European country or a project stretching across borders. Today, our guest is Amina Mansour who is a journalist focusing on science and medicine at DN, or Dagens Nyheter, one of the leading newspapers in Sweden. Amina is writing about scientific topics together with Maria Gunther, who together jointly received the Enlightener of the Year Award from the Swedish Skeptics in 2016. Amina, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Really nice to have you. Can you just quickly translate the name of your uh, magazine?
0: It's it's the largest morning paper here in ah, Sweden. Okay. Uh, news of today. It's it's called. So it's very simple like that.
1: What's what's your what's your readership like? What's the numbers?
0: Uh I think we have about 300,000 all in all digital and print uh subscribers. So we have uh, print and digital, so I think we have 120, 130,000 just digital uh, subscribers. So it's a lot. We, two years ago, we had like 30,000 and now we have 130,000.
1: That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And actually, the science um, news is one of the main drivers for the subscriptions.
2: Uh, that, that's very interesting in, in a day and age when people maybe think that science is not what people focus on. Uh, so, But but before we go into that, what, what's your background and how did you become a journalist and covering science and medicine and those topics?
0: Yeah, so I've always been interested in writing and I wanted to be a journalist even as a young, young girl. You know, when I was nine years old, I started my own paper and it was called <laughs> Splash and it was mostly drawings and uh, crosswords and stuff like that. But, but when I was uh, in uni... I was an editor of uh, my. Uh, I'm not. It, it's called Nations. I'm not really sure what what we call it. But uh, some uh, clubs in Uppsala University, and uh, we had a small paper, and I was the editor of that. And uh, then after I studied peace and conflict and uh, social science in Uppsala, I studied journalism in Stockholm at Stockholm's University, and then. I wanted to be just an ordinary journalist, or maybe a foreign correspondent, or maybe a war correspondent. Yeah, but but when I was uh, doing my internship at the um, uh, national news agency TT, I uh, I started covering medicine also, and uh, just because they they needed someone to cover for their medicine reporter. Uh, not the hard questions or the hard topics, but just, you know, covering some things. And it was really interesting. So, and then after a while, I just, I got really into that. And um, I started working at Karolinska Institute at uh, a medical university here in Stockholm. And um, they have journalists employed for uh, two papers and when i was there i got to go and um, to take a evening course medicine for journalists and after that i just i called myself a medicine journalist and just covered that
1: well you know you you said um, you were thinking of becoming a, a war journalist but i think <laughs> this is like a, a being a war journalist but uh, but fighting the war of on on bad facts and war on on bad information and um I think it's a, it's a valuable job and a good one to do, especially in in the, this age of of fake news. Thanks, <laughs> it's a great choice. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I'm really happy because it was just a fluke, but I'm really happy and I really enjoy it. And medicine and science is so interesting, and you know I can really make a difference sometimes.
1: Yeah, I wish we could, I wish we could infect everybody with this. Um, cause I feel about science and about facts and about all these things just as excited probably as you, you do. And it's, it's just so amazing that in the current day and age, we know so much about medicine. We know so much about scientific facts and how the world works. And yet there are still people who just close their eyes, close their ears. They don't want to hear. They don't want to know. They just want to look for alternatives. And, and all, all their excuses are about big pharma. Yeah, Australia. I've been,
0: uh, I've been uh, accused of uh, being bought by Big Pharma, by... Oh,
1: so, so did we, you know, we're all in the same boat. Yeah,
0: Big Pharma, Big Sugar, Big big Food, Big uh, big Tobacco also. I'm not sure why. <laughs> and yeah, you know, they ev- okay. they say whatever they can to get you down.
2: So I believe that DN has discovered that science is something that the, the readers... Really care about uh, through the su- the subscription articles? Can you can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, it's kind of surprised us too. But we know that from our readers that they are really interested in this. But we didn't know that it would make them buy subscriptions. I would say the main articles that have been driving and the subscriptions hasn't really been science, but it has kind of been science packaged as a more You know, how to know something, how, um, one of the first articles I wrote that was just for subscribers. So that's an article you want people to buy. And it was nine medical myths you shouldn't fall for. So it's something that can help you understand or help you with a problem or it makes you know something even more and helps you become more knowledgeable or uh, helps you how to deal with a problem. So I also wrote an article, gluten, what does the science say? Is gluten-free something you should do for uh, health problems or what does the science say? And those were really popular. And actually, we republished the gluten article today. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, two years after because they those articles they can be published again and again on the front page because there are usually the science hasn't changed about gluten free or gluten no
2: but but the myths come back yeah
0: yeah and actually today there was uh, on the internet on uh, twitter there was um, An influencer who had uh, taken a picture of her pretending to eat pasta, but in Italy she said she ordered it just for the uh, picture, but she didn't eat it because she's gluten-free. And um, people were quite angry about that, Uh, but she said she handed it out, uh, the uh, pasta, to a homeless person. I'm not sure if she really did that, but... (laughs) <laughs> we discussed, but of course, this isn't something my paper covers. But I, I told them you can publish this uh, article about uh, gluten and gluten free. What's uh, does the science say? Just for because people are talking about gluten now, so we did uh, publish it on our front page again.
2: Yeah. So, so tell us, just for for the listeners, to repeat. What is the, the, the thing with gluten and the gluten-free? And why is that not something that people should pursue? It's
0: for people who are celiacs or gluten intolerant. Of course, they should be gluten-free for the rest of their lives because it's... Um, It's really dangerous for them to eat gluten, but for the rest of us, most of us, maybe 97% or something like that, it's not dangerous. It doesn't make you fat unless you eat a lot of bad food, which sometimes contain gluten, like pizza. If you eat a lot of pizza, you will probably get fat. But it's not the gluten in in itself that makes you fat. And but it's been a trend in the U.S. for a long time. And the Swedes are really loving all these gluten-free foods, and they think they're so healthy. And some uh, there are some health bloggers that uh, try to blame every health problem on gluten, and uh, they've been really popular. But uh, the science, uh, when uh, when you um, compare two groups and uh, you get them gluten or placebo and they don't know what to get, people don't really react to gluten.
1: Yes, it's a very popular, I was going to say myth, but a very popular trend in, in England as well, the gluten-free stuff. Now you go to every restaurant, respectable restaurant and they always will have gluten-free options, etc. So definitely spread across Europe, I think. So it's not just Sweden. <laughs>
0: no, no, of course. But it's, it's good that you have gluten-free options because in Sweden we have quite a lot of uh, gluten-intolerant people. We have maybe 1% more... Uh, in other countries, one to two percent. In Sweden, it's two to three percent of the population. But still, it's quite few. But I've heard that since uh, most restaurants have gluten-free food, but some people aren't that—they don't really know if they eat gluten or not. Then the, it's not really gluten-free. So people with celiac disease can be harmed by this. So the trend is not really good for them. No. Yeah.
2: So do you have any other examples of the nine myths? What what what, what gluten was one? What no, was, was no, gluten others?
0: was an, uh, a whole article actually. But the nine oh, okay. myths was you know uh, uh, the measles, uh, the MMR vaccine doesn't co- cause autism, sugar doesn't make uh, kids hyperactive, and uh, also doesn't
1: cause cancer.
0: Yeah, and uh, no. Um, Was it sweeteners? Uh, Artificial sweeteners doesn't cause cancer. And um, yeah, big pharma uh, does have a cure for cancer, but keeping it secret and uh, stuff like that. And it was really, really popular for a long time.
2: But that's really encouraging, right? That people are interested in reading about this.
0: Yeah, but that was two years ago. That was before Trump. And uh, I think... People are still interested in facts, but some people ha- have been encouraged in their fact resistance since Trump, I think. Oh. Yeah, but, but me and my colleague, we discuss this, uh, we discuss it sometimes because we get more emails from readers nowadays that says, I don't believe you. Huh? Uh, they, 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 so- they they don't believe us and we're like, okay, what, what? why don't you believe us? And you say,
1: no, but I, I just don't. So, so there is nothing you can say to to convince them otherwise, basically.
0: Uh, Sometimes I try to. uh, How Mm. come you don't believe this, or why do you Mm. believe that? And Mm. they most sometimes they don't reply.
1: You you know, it's um, very similar to what believers would say if you have uh, a debate with them and then and you 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 tell... Well, if you're coming from a position of the atheist, you would, you'll would you tell them, so I don't believe in God because there isn't enough evidence to convince me otherwise. But if you produce some evidence, I will change my mind. Whereas believers, if you ask them, is there anything you we can tell you to convince you that, uh, that the God doesn't exist, and they normally say no. So they're already coming from this position of, you know, there is nothing you can say to change my mind. And I wonder if some of the alternative medicinal alternative fact supporters kind of coming from the same disposition this position of faith rather than looking at it rationally and thinking about it in a rational way which makes it so much harder to then get them to think about the facts and what what it means
0: yeah and uh, sometimes i just i don't focus on them on them i focus on people who are you know indecisive yeah. or questioning or they're yeah, open the to it
1: yeah yeah
2: but, but is it that like, people are being more encouraged now? It's okay to say, I don't believe you, without putting any rational arguments behind it?
0: Um, I don't have any facts to back it up, but it's um, you know a general feeling I have. My colleague, she writes about climate a lot of times. Uh, she gets emails from people who say you know but this study or this study or whatever or this person says or trump doesn't believe that or this person you know so and she did she says she didn't feel it was like that before yeah but i'm not really sure <laughs> maybe it's just we get more emails now
1: um, so, uh, we have mentioned Macchiarini scandal several times in our show. C- can you just briefly describe it and the latest developments, um, within this story?
0: Yeah. So, Paolo Macchiarini was a surgeon and a guest researcher at Karolinska Institute. He was world renowned and he operated plastic tracheas into three patients in Sweden. All of them are dead today. But he said that this was uh, a great triumph for medicine and what's, you know, plastic tracheas with their own stem cells, I think. So it was going to grow to to make it like their own trachea. I'm not really sure what. The, but he was uh, accused of scientific fraud. And um, he was actually freed by the vice chancellor of uh, Karolinska Institute that uh, it was... Almost three years ago, after external editor, um, reviewer had recommended he was uh, guilty, but he was uh, freed. Uh, so I was working at uh, another paper back then, and we were shocked because we thought he was going to be found guilty. And it took, I think, six months or something like that, four, five, six months. And then I started working at Dagens Nyheter. And uh, I think two weeks after... There was this article in Vanity Fair. And uh, my editor said, you should look at this. And there was this mad story about him promising to marry uh, a journalist in the U.S. And the Pope was going to marry them. And Obamas were coming to the wedding. And, you know, it was such a crazy story. But it wasn't anything for me to write about. But then... (laughs) The public uh, television here broadcast a documentary series in three shows, uh, The Experiments, it was called. And after that, everything came falling down for him. And uh, he was fired from Karolinska Institutet. The scientific fraud investigation was uh, st- reopened. And um, it's been um, going on for almost three years now. And uh, this uh, Monday, he was found guilty for scientific fraud,
1: and is that for the trachea? Th- yes, operations. Yeah,
0: yeah. There, there was a pivotal st- uh, study in the Lancet about the first patient with a plastic trachea, and um, the patient died, and he probably wasn't that sick, even. Yeah, it's a dreadful story, but in the paper he said that everything went well, there wasn't any problems, and you know, but this was this was fabricated and that wasn't really surprising because we knew that would happen because um, we have an expert group that they had recommended that he'd been found guilty but there were these whistleblowers four doctors that worked with him at Karolinska University Hospital and they they were the ones who alerted Karolinska Institute that, that this was fraud or that something was wrong And one of them was also found guilty for scientific fraud. And two other people were, I think they've been, I'm not really sure, but they've been partly found guilty, but not of scientific fraud. So they've been slapped on the wrist or something like that.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so there's been a scientific debate, uh, a debate here in Sweden, if people want to be a whistleblower right now because they, the four doctors, they claim they have been harassed and they have lost everything since they accused Paolo Maccherini of a, a scientific fraud. They have put their own careers at risk.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. If if you create a climate where people yeah. are afraid to, yeah. to you know sound the alarm when something is wrong, then, then that's really really bad.
0: Yeah and the, the, actually because this week also there's been in Gothenburg at Sahlgrenska University Hospital and Sahlgrenska Ac- Academy there has been another researcher who has been not doing exactly the same as Paolo Maccherini but quite uh, quite similar and she's uh, now been uh, found guilty of fraud. But the, uh, the other authors on the papers they've been um, they've been freed. This system is actually going to change now because of this scandal.
2: It seems like you need a third party evaluation body. Something you you can't leave this to the research institutes themselves to figure out. Or, or, or am I wrong?
0: No, th- you're completely right, and that's what. Uh, this was actually started before the Maccarini scandal. This has been really proved that we need a third-party independent um, government agency that should uh, evaluate every case. And uh, uh, so the government has proposed that this should be a, a new law, a new agency, a new uh, way so the vice chancellor doesn't get to decide anymore.
3: Hmm. Mm.
1: Uh, can I just ask? I, maybe it's a stupid question about the uh, this this method or or whatever this trachea replacement that the uh, Maikarini was using. W- was that that profitable to, to do these operations? I, d- I don't really understand where he was coming from with that. He he
0: was uh, involved with a, an American company uh, for the plastic tracheas, but you know, since there's a deficit of. Uh, Transplant, uh, of, uh, organs in, in the world. So mm-hmm. if you can make something, manufacture something, can you manufacture a lung or a kidney or a, even a heart? If, mm-hmm. you, if you could that, you would solve a lot of the world's problems.
1: Mm.
0: And he started with a trachea and because you can transplant, plant a trachea from a dead person, but you can't make something for, from, from plastic. But mm. he he tried to do this, and he still claims he his method is valid, but he hasn't got it to work in patients yet. But I'm not too sure. I would say mm. I don't think so.
2: Okay. Do you have any other science related uh, news story that you would like to tell us about?
0: You asked me before if I had a favorite uh, mm? story, and I actually a couple of months ago I had my it's. The article I'm most proud of uh, at my time at the uh, DM. And, uh, you know, people are claiming they have chronic Lyme disease. They, there, there is Lyme disease, of course, and uh, it's spread by ticks and, mm-hmm. you know, the scary little creatures. And it's not hard to treat, but uh, chronic Lyme disease is, uh, it's not a disease, it's a pseudo-diagnosis, pseudo, pseudo diagnosis because you can have Lyme disease, and you can have post-Lyme, I'm not really sure what it's called in English, but you have, even though you've been treated for the infection, and the infection is gone, you can still have, you can feel tired, fatigue, or you can have joint pain, or something like that, but... But you don't still have the infection, but uh, there are clinics in Germany or in the US that treat people with antibiotics for, you know, a couple of years, maybe two, two years, a long time and really strong antibiotics. And people have died from this treatment. Yeah. And there are some patients here in Sweden that say they have chronic Lyme disease, but there's no infection. You can't treat it anymore. With antibiotics so But people still are claiming this And they are going to Germany Or to They used to go to Norway But um, the doctors that uh, gave that treatment They lost their license Medical license So they go to Germany And Poland Or maybe Hungary also But there's there's a clinic in Uppsala University North of Stockholm And they want to help people So they take them there and they go, they do a lot of tests and they say, do they have Lyme disease? Do they have anything else? What can we treat them? Can we treat them? And they had, so I was there and I did an interview with the professor and I met a patient and she thought she had Lyme disease because she had been tired for almost a year and she has, she's been sick a lot, but she didn't know I'm not sure what happened to her because uh I think she just got her test results so I will check back with her but they've had 200 more than 250 patients or something like that and 6 of them have had Lyme disease most hmm. of them haven't had anything half of them have never had uh Lyme disease yeah and the rest of them have had it before but it's resolved one person had I think it was um, multiple sclerosis, or another person had ALS, you know, um, degenerative, really bad, uh, horrible disease. But most of them, they don't have anything to treat. I get a lot of emails from patients, they say that Sweden is terrible in treating these patients, and we are, that Sweden is discriminating them, and we are far, miles behind anywhere else in the world because we don't acknowledge chronic Lyme disease so I wrote this article and I'm really proud of it actually
2: (laughs) very good No, this is very common I had some acquaintance on on Facebook that uh, shared uh, how do you counter this it's very hard to when it becomes personal it's very hard to argue maybe you shouldn't try it even
0: yeah it's really hard when it com- becomes personal because I have. Um, there was uh, a couple of uh, colleagues at work who said, "Well, I know someone who's had chronic Lyme disease," and I said, "Well, I don't believe that it exists, and the science says it doesn't exist." But I can't persuade them, and I don't want to. If that person says it, it's feel pain. Of course, it's in pain.
2: Yeah.
0: But maybe it's not from that disease.
2: No, that, that's the difficult thing, I think. If you say there's no such thing as Lyme disease and say, so you're saying my brother is not sick? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's probably something else.
0: Yeah, um, th- and yeah. that's what I'm always trying to, because I get a lot of emails from readers who say, but I feel this. And I say, oh, I understand, but I can't write about this because this is not a disease that's acknowledged by the medical community.
2: And then, then that's where you become bought by big pharma.
0: Yeah, right? uh, or uh, uh, the Swedish ke- skeptics. I'm oh, also yeah, the by Swedish you. skeptics. Yeah, oh yeah, we yeah. Have... you've
1: got lots of money, right? Oh
2: yes, we are very rich, and we pay off everybody to, to <laughs> yeah. I was a rich boy, crazy. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, we did pay you. I mean, yeah, to be did. honest, so we now did. Actually,
0: but and we have the check at our desks.
2: Uh Oh, very good, very good. So. To, to, to clarify that you received the Enlightener of the Year award for, from the Swedish skeptics in 2016 or for 2016. Yeah. Together with uh, Maria Gunther. So I want to ask you about that. How, how meaningful do you feel that that kind of award is? Is it something that we should continue with as skeptics or is it just an empty gesture?
0: I'm really proud of that award so I think you should uh, continue <laughs> with it but but it's also been really helpful when dealing with you know editors who think we are killjoys and we don't want to write about stuff or we think because they value our opinion now even more and you know prizes are actually valuable not because of the money or but for the me- gesture the meaning a lot of our readers were really happy, and they congratulated us, and they felt that this was a great award. And and still, I think maybe once a month, some person would say, "Oh, I know you got that award, so it's it it means something."
2: Okay, I'm very glad to hear that because we, of course, the Swedish skeptics are not alone in in doing this. Uh, we we have our you know sister organizations all over the world you know like a big uh, conspiracy but uh, they uh, m- many of the other skeptics organization, i should say uh, are are handing out similar awards so i'm i'm glad to hear that it actually makes a bit of a difference
0: of course it was uh, nice to get a award to show up for our colleagues because uh, there aren't that many awards for science journalism in sweden and mm. uh, there is one it's uh, quite new, but there aren't that many just awards just for science journalists. There's awards for economy or politics or investigative journalism. So it was something we were really proud of it, and we are still proud of it. So we're grateful for that.
2: Very good, thank you.
1: Um, so this is a, d- a million dollar question to you: How to combat fake news in medicine or other fields? It's
0: really hard, but I think you should, you should focus on the people, not the people who have decided yet, but the people who are, you know, in the middle, uh, who are undecisive. But also you should always try to, it's hard, but you should try to go where the evidence uh, takes you. And if there's something that's inconclusive or not sure yet, you should say that. To make an example, I, Wrote an article about vitamin D because people are saying it, it can cure almost cure cancer. It can prevent cancer. It can prevent uh, colds and flu. It can prevent, you know, heart disease or anything. So I wrote an article, a quite long article about what does the evidence say. And in the end, it was like, so is this closed? Vitamin D is good, but there's no evidence that it can. Um, cure cancer or that it can prevent cancer or even prevent flu or something like that and then in the end I, I said that there are two big studies that are coming out so we don't really know but for now you don't have to take vitamin d pills the readers loved it and the doctors loved it and you know scientists loved it so I think that's a way to you know win over most people
2: yeah yeah there are some people of course that don't recognize logic and rational thinking they just want to go with their feelings yes and i don't i don't know if you can reach them with the logical arguments
0: no i don't think you can and i try not to focus on them because they aren't that many people hopefully (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and but but the people in the middle that don't have really strong feelings i think i try to focus on them because that's the one i can you know influence
1: yeah well, let's hope that the facts will prevail one day although, <laughs> although something tells me <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah yeah but i think they will i hope so but i'm not uh, sometimes i'm quite pessimistic because uh, a colleague of mine wrote an article uh an evening that was uh standing is like smoking it's as bad as smoking and uh that was totally wrong. It was taking out of context and you got a lot of uh, interaction. And the day after the morning after I, I wrote an article commenting on this and said no it's standing isn't like smoking. Smoking is smoking. Smoking is bad but standing isn't that bad. This is another kind of study and uh, it didn't get that many, uh, much interaction, much less interaction. So sometimes I feel, you know, quite yeah. uh,
1: <laughs> depressed. So, sorry, what's what's standing?
0: People who have standing jobs, uh, they stand in their jobs a lot.
1: Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, that got taken out of context for uh, an English ju- uh, paper,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, The Telegraph, I think, and then my colleague he found it and he wrote an article that was like standing up and working is like smoking yeah. and it's not <laughs> we are a better magazine i think yeah. we uh, or paper we we try not to uh, have these kinds of clickbait headlines but yeah. but sometimes you know uh, my colleague he yeah. thought he did something right he thought that this article was correct so mm. he didn't know and uh, press releases uh, or are quite often exaggerated and um, scientists nowadays, they are promoting their self and their science, so it's harder to, you know, to navigate in this.
2: Yeah. Uh, we we have a a friend and a colleague uh, called Michael Marshall in the UK and he's written a lot about this online and talked about it on his podcast as well. He calls it bad PR that's his label for it. Yes, but it, it's about all kinds of press releases that are written specifically to feed into the quick journalism, the journalists that are, you know, forced To, you know, produce like five or six articles per day because of cost cuts and stuff. And you just feed these journalists with press releases that promotes your product or your point of view or so. Do you feel that that's a problem also in Sweden?
0: Yes. And I think it's become more of a problem now because universities, university press releases used to be really good and you can trust them. But nowadays, I think. They leave out that uh, research was done on mice, uh, or maybe it's in the end of the uh, press release, or sometimes it uh, says that, oh, this will lead to a new, new medicine or new drug, and it doesn't say in 10 to 15 years, which is, I can, I can understand uh, a press release, or I can see all those, you know, tricks that, um, Press offices have uh, written, but someone who, who is stressed for time or isn't that used to reading press releases or doesn't have the study, they're easily fooled. Uh, so I, I actually say a, the bad science reporting, because there are a lot of s- bad science reporting, it's not just because of journalists, it's also because of scientists and of uh, uni- press releases and uh, universities nowadays yeah
1: mm-hmm. but I also think so for for me personally, I know that not everybody will have time or desire it's um just having access to the original studies, and that's a problem in itself
0: yeah yeah I try to always link to but sometimes there's a paywall, but at in Sweden at universities, you can go to the university library and you can read all the papers for free, so there is a way, but still it's not. It's not that great so.
2: Yeah, but 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 we actually covered a news item last week which was that a Bibsam, I think it's called who's working for the Swedish National Library. Yes. They have said they will not renew their contract with Elsevier. Yes. I is, uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so how do you feel about that development? That's I we actually to be honest, I I covered this as a good news because I don't want Elsevier to, to be able to charge up to like a thousand euro to read one single uh, study, but also it, it stops this open access from the library. So so what what is should be the policy there?
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure, actually, because of course, I don't want Elsevier to ch- overcharge, but I still want access to them, but... I'm not really sure what to do, but some some people say open access should uh, could solve all our problems. But one of the problems could be that it's harder for us journalists to navigate what should we write about, when has that, it been peer-reviewed, when is it published, or, you know, if it was open access. Yeah. Mm, but okay. uh, peer-reviewed and uh, published isn't... Uh, a safeguard in in itself because there's been some quite mm. bad studies that have been published mm. in, you know, the Macarini papers were published in the long set, <laughs> yeah. but there's also been, you know, there was a study about uh, artificial sweeteners, a uh, diet soda that diet soda caused uh, strokes and Alzheimer's, but it was <laughs> P-hacking and it was published in a great journal that's called Stroke, I think. Yeah. It's hard for it's hard for us a science even for science journalists. But
2: yeah, yeah. So we've been talking for for quite a while here. Now, is there anything you want to bring up that we haven't asked you about, Amina?
0: Hmm. That's the you know that's the question when I ask my uh, people I interview, <laughs> and they always say, "Oh, I don't know. That's the hardest question I have."
2: <laughs> but now it's up to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. I was actually thinking about, um, uh, because we have had quite public uh, stories in Sweden about uh, fundraising campaigns for uh, cancer treatments in Mexico. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we've talked about it, yeah. Yeah, and I
0: heard that you talked about it. And I was uh, talking with a colleague uh, the other day about it. And she said, maybe we should interview the family and... And I said no because you can't win because that in that way feelings will triumph over facts because
3: yeah. the
0: families will always have the the narrative they can they, you can't really argue with them and no uh, so
2: they're they're never the bad guys in that story they,
0: no of, and they aren't the bad guys because they are desperate so the families yeah, aren't the bad course. guys the bad guys are the doctors and. Uh, the media actually that have been writing about this without any critical questions yeah but i was uh, thinking about in uh, sci- in journalists you always want a case you want uh, a person to
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: you want a person's personal story to to go with your main article and mm-hmm. that's a problem in science journalism i think because that makes because science doesn't have anecdotes you shouldn't have an anecdote but when you have that, it's it's a problem. And so whenever I, my editor comes to me and say we want a case, and I say, okay, but this case, it has to not be, just be uh, feelings. There has to be facts also. So we have to fact-check some things that they say. And mm. you feel like a
1: bad guy. So. Have you ever heard of Jess Einskoch? I think it's a, how you spell no, her name. No, no. Uh, she called herself a cancer wellness warrior. And mm-hmm. she uh, went to... Uh, she received this this alternative treatment called Gerson therapy. And she was very public about writing about the, her journey and how she was treated uh, by this Gerson therapy uh, for her cancer that could have been easily dealt with by uh, a simple surgery and amput- amputation. And um, she, on her blog described at the later stages of her life that how somewhat she felt maybe this path has betrayed her. She didn't want to come out and say it outright, that it was the wrong choice to make, because it defined her life in a way. But I think uh, it would have been interesting to maybe take a case like this, and and she also now passed away, actually, this, this lady as well, and maybe somehow kind of you know use those examples as as uh, maybe not not to say it's not about saying oh we told you so or it's not about assigning blame and picking the ch- the winners and losers because in this situation everybody is a loser but maybe looking at those cases where you know things did go wrong because of the choices that people made um, and I don't think it's been Covered in a in a media enough uh, from from the perspective of the people who went down the alternative route and then ended up.
0: No, I think you're right, and I think we should do that more. And mm. but you know, after the fact, <laughs> when people yeah. have died, um, yeah. the. It's quite hard to, you know, write respectfully about them uh, sometimes. And it's, you know, so you have to be really careful how to phrase everything. But you can talk to family members who maybe have, you know, feel that they have been betrayed or something that the the person went uh, down the wrong path. But sometimes, you know, people, you know, like with this... um, people who go to Mexico to treat them, uh, get treatment, they will feel, they can't really say they did something wrong for their ch- their child because then they would say, so they have to say, but we think it helped her, we think it helped him. Okay. Or, uh, okay. So, it's, but, but I think we should do that more or maybe take public cases because, you know, mm. there are cases, like in the UK, there was a, I'm not sure, but the BBC did a documentary, I think, about um, uh, a woman who had breast uh, breast cancer, I think it was stage four or three or four, but she, mm-hmm. she went to uh, a British doctor who, he had a special diet, uh, you know, she had, uh, it was vitamin C or bi- uh, he, he persuaded her to, you know, eat right and... Yeah. And she died, of course, but her family they spoke out and yeah. it was um it was actually a criminal case against him. I'm not sure what happened to him. Maybe he's still uh, on trial. And so it's easier to write when it's something like that or pop- a report on it, but mm-hmm. I think we should do that more to to help people understand that because there's been a lot of writing about people who have gone to Mexico for these alter- alternative treatments for those children. They have a brain tumor, brain cancer that's terrible and it's mortal in for everyone, actually. And after the children have died, the writing has stopped. Yeah. So we should write even yeah. when the children have died and said, so it didn't help that person. But But it's really hard.
1: It It is. And it's really, like you said, it's really hard to be uh, like, you don't know how to say the right thing and not to disrespect the family and the memory and all these kind of things. And I think we need to find the language, the right language to talk about it. The, the gentle, respectful, but also at the same time, bringing people's attention to what is, because these are the facts. You can feel however you want about these facts. That's that's yeah. also fine. But you know the, yeah, the reality I... is such that, that that these these treatments don't work, uh, and and you you can make a decision to not have uh, the 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 therapies available in a, in a, in, a, in conventional medicine. But you should be making those choices knowing the facts. I agree with you.
2: Oh, on that cheerful note, maybe it's time to to wrap things up. And of course, I mean it ironically, it's not cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, we usually fi- ask this. Where can people go to find out more about you and your work? I, I guess we you go to Dagens Nyheter and to, to that. Or do you have anything else as well that we could link to?
0: No, I think Dagens Nyheter is, uh, is where you can uh, read my... But you have to read Swedish then. But maybe you can Google translate it. But you can... You can uh, find all my articles there. There's a link on my Twitter page. And you can also follow me on Twitter, of course. But maybe okay. I write mostly in Swedish. But sometimes yeah. I I link to retweet interesting stories. All
2: right. We will link to that.
1: But I tell you what. Wh- one day we're going to live in a world where you can just Google any page and it will translate in the perfect English. Because I think it's getting better and be- better the Google Translator.
0: Yeah, it you. does.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's been very interesting. Thank you very much, Amina, for your time. Uh, you so uh, it was lovely talking to you. So uh, thanks a lot.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that was the interview. Amina is doing great work. And please continue on the same track. Um, somebody has to. And uh, it's not always pleasant or popular. But uh it's always necessary and needed for good science education and providing good facts.
2: Yeah, I think it's good because we sometimes, you know, we focus so much on the bad news on on the fake news and all the stupid things out there that we don't highlight that there are people out there that are doing very good work in, in spreading science-based thinking and science-based medicine and actually reaching a big audience. So... uh uh, that is very encouraging.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that alternative medicine seekers is just another phase and just like another fashion that will pass. And uh, I
2: uh, well, I I don't think you're right.
1: People will get back to their sense, senses, eh?
2: I don't think the people ever were at their <laughs> at their senses, <laughs> but, but <Touché. laughs> Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we yeah. should keep uh, fighting the good fight. So that's yeah. great.
1: Yep. So shall we remind our listeners how they can get in touch with us? And we've got various, uh, various ways, um, cause we're all modern and up to date. <laughs> uh, so, so you can, um, go on Twitter and tweet, uh, tweet at us and follow us. And it's at, uh, ESpodcast underscore EU. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, like us on there, f- send us direct message. Um, you can also go on our website, which is the ESP.eu, uh, and send us a message on there and also, Um, I will give you our email address for those who like the old-fashioned way. And it's info at theesp.eu. So here we go. Please get in touch if you have any um, recommendations, suggestions, news of uh, your country, where you are. And if there's any event you want to promote, we'll mention it on the show.
2: Yeah, or ideas of other people we, we should interview. That's also. Indeed.
1: Good. Yes. Yeah. We are always open for a recommendation.
2: Sure. Or if you want to be interviewed, we can, we can do that as well. Yep.
1: Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And as usual, you should check out the events in Europe uh, page on our website where you can see what's going on for, uh, on the skeptical point of view. Lots of, of uh, events always every week. There are skeptics in the pub and there are uh, conferences or, or congresses or, or other meetups. And if you really like what we are doing, uh, you could go to, uh, patreon.com slash the ESP and sign up to, to send us a dollar or two for every episode that we release. That would be very much appreciated.
1: Indeed. And we appreciate the support of those people who are already doing that.
2: Oh, so we do. We do. Very exciting. Thank you very much.
1: So that's it, I think, for this week. Um, we'll mm-hmm. be back so. with, with a news episode. Uh, Next week, hopefully, Anders will be able to join us. Uh, but until then, uh, have a good week, everyone. paka.
2: пока. Paka. <laughs> paka, paka Bye-bye.
3: <laughs> this has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe
2: I put myself on mute because I think there was a helicopter outside my window.
1: We don't hear anything now. You don't hear so. anything now. Okay. No, No. no, no, fine. no okay, fine. I think
2: it... There's definitely a helicopter outside my window. But if you don't hear it, it's I fine. I don't
1: hear it. They're, lo- they're looking for you, Pontus. They're looking no, for we you. They
2: didn't find me this time, so good. The big
1: fa- <laughs> It's the big farmer. They're coming all after All you.
2: right.